Right, people, here we go. Another episode of the Old Man's Podcast. I'm going to start off a new series, a series I'm going to call Conversations on Classics. Okay, so I have to admit, I am an old man. I'm in my 60s, seen a lot of life, and I think typically all of us, myself included, associate uh, senior citizens, old people, whatever you want to call us with the term classic. A classic can apply to pretty much anything. For example, I drive a heritage classic Harley Davidson motorcycle. It looks like it's from decades ago. It has that classic look. We've talked about these things in my podcast. My wardrobe is classic. Many of the things hanging in my closet are 20 or 30 or I even have some things that are 40 years old, old sweatshirts that that I love that are classics. So The term classic is applicable to old folks like myself, and it applies to many different topics, not just cars, not just music, not just movies. Many things can be classified as classic. Now, if you're a teenager, or you're in your 20s, or in your 30s, you haven't lived through things that are classified as classic, but you still can't have an appreciation for things that would be called classic. Cars, great example. Many young people love the classic cars, the old 60s Mustangs, for example, cars like that. Classic music's another example of something that a young person can appreciate even though they weren't there when it was possible. Now, for me and my contemporaries, many of the things that we grew up with are now called classic, and that's because they're old. So music that I grew up on is classic. If you're in your 20s or in your 30s, music that you grew up on, it isn't classic yet. It will be one day, but right now, it's not. So at any rate, this conversation series that I'm gonna have will be called Conversations on Classics, and I'm gonna start with a really easy topic today in this episode, and that's rock and roll, classic rock. You don't have to have grown up with rock and roll and the stuff that you listened to, as I did when you were a kid, is now classified as classic. Again, you can be a young person and still appreciate classic music, classic rock and roll, classic hip hop, classic country. We're gonna go through all those things. But the first one I decided to start with with this episode is the easiest one, classic rock. So I have a guest that also appreciates classic rock, and we're going to discuss classic rock and roll. After the conversation is over, stick around because I'm gonna give you the links and information on how to find both the blog and how to email me because I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think qualifies as classic rock. And also, equally important for future topics, I need people to talk with that appreciate 
classic things. Like, for example, let's say classic TV. So if you love watching classic TV or someone in your life you know of likes and appreciates classic TV, just as an example, somehow connect to me or get them connected to me. I'd love to have them on the podcast to discuss classic TV. So for example, if you go home to visit your parents and your dad's always sitting on the couch watching Hogan's Heroes, that's classic TV. That's a guy I want to talk to. He would be great as for a conversationalist on classic TV. Classic movies, classic whatever the topic is. If you've got an older person in your life that's lived through all this stuff or a younger person that appreciates it, I'd love to talk to you, put you on the podcast, and you'd be that um, subject of that conversation, whatever classic topic we want to discuss. We can work that around your knowledge and your abilities. So without further ado, let's get the series in conversations on classics started with classic rock and roll. Loyal listeners of the Old Man's Podcast, got a real treat for you today. A good friend of mine who loves to talk rock and roll. He's a classic guy. Now, I wouldn't call him an old man, but he's he's uh, he's going to be there eventually like all of you are. So classic, I mean, like, what does classic mean? To me, I drive a cla- heritage classic, Harley Davidson. It fits my personality. If you walk into my house and I'm watching TV, I'm probably watching a classic Western on the Grit channel. And if you catch me listening to music when I'm in the workout room or whatever I might be doing, I'm probably listening to classic rock and roll and I think uh, my guest, Rob Stagenborg, you fit that mold as well? Well, I def- first of all, thank you for, for having me, old man. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, uh, I'm actually getting close to being the old man status. And in some circles, I actually am considered an old man. <laughs> but uh, there, there are a few things that I love talking more about than, than rock and roll. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a sickness with me because it's been something I've been born into. Um, I'm the youngest of six, you know, small, you know, Catholic family from North St. Louis County. My brothers and sisters were all, you know, listening to Elvis and, and Woodstock music. And kind of when I came in, you know, there was uh, some remnants of the doors and, you know, music like that going through the house. But I got to tell you, my very first classic rock album that just turned me on to the entire thing was, uh, remember uh, the Columbia House deal where yes. you paid a penny and you got the 13? And I swear I paid for every last one of those. I swear to you on the record, you know. Uh, I got Kiss Love God. And I'll tell you, that was just so like over the top because at the time they were, you know, these real bad boys and you know, I had, had this great following and nobody was doing what Kiss was doing. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really a big Kiss fan, and you know, I've, I've never really, you know, been one to dress up like them or follow them around. But I just remember getting that album and just feeling, you know, through headphones, man, this is larger than life. You know, what year do you think crazy, it was? So. 
I'm going to say it had to have been about 70, 71, maybe. Wow, you're a big You're a youngster. Maybe like 72-ish or so. Yeah, it was was, uh, 72. No, I guess maybe even 74 might have been. I was in grade school. So mid-70s, let's just say that, late-80s is when I kind of started listening to music, you know what I mean? But my very first album that I got, because, again, being the youngest of six. Right. They all got the cool albums, the ones that they wanted. They they threw me a couple of gimmies, and I got Kiss Love Gun, and then I got the soundtrack to Grease of all things. So, <laughs> not exactly classic on, rock and roll. Is it? Yeah, who won on that one? You know, but uh, but it just kind of got me going, and I started turning in, you know, turning into my teenage years. And you know, my friend across the street, you know, was a drummer. My brother was a drummer, and we had a drum set at the house. We all fancied ourselves drummers, and just kind of led us into, you know, the whole segue of classic rock and, and at different levels and heavy metal and, you know, the old blues. And there's so many different divisions of classic mm-hmm. rock. That's what gets me so excited and, and, and loved, I love to talk about it. Do you do you remember the first album you bought? Um, you know, that's I was trying to think in, pre- in preparation for, for this. I, I don't remember, although I do remember my neighbor, the guy I used to hang out with all the time, he got uh, the album uh, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, okay? With Ronnie James mm-hmm. Dio, it's when they re- re-got back together and all that. And I mean, we wore the grooves out on his on that album, and I know every song on that album. So even though I didn't actually buy that album, that's the first album that, that I really connected with because we listened to it all the time. And, you know, we were all, you know, we thought we were this, this neo-Black Sabbath type, and you know, of course, that was a short-lived experiment for Black Sabbath. But, uh, so when when a young Rob Stagenbor was out shopping for albums or music, where were you going? Uh, you know, Cypress Records was a good one. Uh, Peaches, obviously, you go down to Peaches. I was, again, from North County, so I went to the Peaches on, on West Lorsant, um in Chambers Road, which is right there, and, um, you know, was there quite a bit. But we did go to Cypress Road, uh Cypress Records, you know, right there in St. Anne, they used to sell concert tickets, and every once in a while they'd have a couple of the big names would come through and sign autographs and stuff at the store. So, used to really enjoy doing uh, doing the go- going to those two places. But you know, we didn't really live near like a, a Tower Records, and nobody would ever think of buying a, an album at Sam Goody. I mean, you paid double the price at the mall than you would pay at a record store. So, well, that Peaches was really nice. I, I'm I'm coming from further east riverview gardens going to the same place you're sure. talking about and uh, i can just remember it was enormous it seemed enormous maybe it wasn't as big as it seemed and you'd go in there and you'd, you'd and they're alphabetized and just just the feeling thump thump, thump uh, yeah it, thump. it was it was an experiment it, I'm, I'm experienced excuse me it, it was almost like going into like a legal head shop you know like in the old days you would walk into a head shop and like oh my gosh we, can't believe they have all this stuff with peaches is like going into that cool zone with all these cool people and it's like you were kind of on the underground and then of course it all got corporate and they sold out but yeah the early days was very retro and very rebel and very counterculture it was really cool i had furniture made out of the peaches crates that you can buy the album yeah <laughs> I, you know i i believe that 100 <laughs> percent. um i really love that place and and Today, like I'll go to Central West End and go through Vintage Vinyl just to get the feeling of flipping through the albums, just one. Yeah. Album sure. art. I really, I was never an artist and have no talent whatsoever in that regard. 
but I loved looking at the album covers and album art was something that interested me. Did did that get your attention? You know, it 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 did in kind of in a, in a you know on, on just a very cursory level. Obviously, some of the very famous you know album covers that came out that you remember and you know Sticky Fingers by Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, those. Are, but for me, um, you know, my older brother again was a drummer. We fancied himself a drummer. So we had a lot of uh, Neil Peart influence. So we had a lot of Rush albums, and and if you really again you're you know 12 years old living in you know Normandy, Missouri, you got nothing really to do except look at the album covers. So you really start understanding some of the the, the you know sim- symbology they put you know they put in the albums, and, and you read the liner notes, and you you get to know familiar names, and, and just to me it brought the whole experience. So I was really a geek about that stuff. I really enjoyed looking at the liner notes to the point where I, I pulled the album out and it was just one of those plain white sleeves. I get kind of pissed. I'd be like, geez, you know, fan, man, I paid 12 bucks for this album. At least give me a couple pictures on the inside sleeve, you know? I agree with you. I'd follow along with the lyrics whenever they were provided. It just, it was so much different than what kids I think experience now in downloading music. They, they miss a lot of the peripheral entertainment value of recorded music sure you know one thing i like to i like to tell people um a, a band called and they're not really necessarily my favorite band by any means but a band called the outlaws you know they're just they, they play green grass and high tides forever you know pretty good classic song or whatever a band like that would never make it today because like they'd be one hit wonders they would just just flush out and no one would ever give them a second chance but bands like that you went beyond the the eight beyond the the, the, the top side you went to the B side and, and usually listen to their B side album that's, that's kind of what happened with Van Halen they always have like their hot album or I'm sorry their hot song and the B side was always a, a definitely an underground classic so I think kids are missing that B side there's just yeah. not that B side anymore you know you're right about that and there's their legendary I don't know if it's uh, urban legends or whatever but legendary stories about B side al- songs that became a bigger hit than any other song on the album nobody predicted it just happened accidentally exactly i mean there's been tons of songs that have been just throwaways or you know things that they wrote in 10 minutes i i saw something on the internet uh norman greenbaum the guy that wrote spirit in the sky he wrote that in 15 minutes and he's been living out the royalties for 30 years <laughs> I mean, wow you know like yeah. wh- wh- where was i how could i can't you know get anything going <laughs> Like hitting a lottery, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's it. All it took took was one song that was captured and you know played in film and you know just you know promoted, and people enjoyed it. And again, he set for life. But again, that's usually the the exception, not the rule, you know. But uh, right again, I kind of grew up in the heavy metal era, so I was really into like some of the heavy metal stuff. You know, the Judas Priest. You know, the the Motley Crude. You know, Van Halen. So I don't like just because of the age i was at was that's that's where my kind of arc was going if that makes sense it does and how, how about live music were you uh, one to attend concerts you know as a teenager i did i went to a lot of shows uh and even as a young adult i went at 18 i was in the army so i had really access to great tickets so i got to go to a, a lot of really cool live shows but once the shows kind of started become really expensive and hard to get to and you know hard to get tickets and Ticketmaster got involved it just turned me off towards it and I think with the rise in, in internet video and you know if I want to sit in my man cave and turn out the lights and put on some candles and listen to 
you know, a concert, you know, a whole concert DVD on YouTube or something, you know, I could do that. You know, I could do that in privacy in my home. I don't need to pay 25 bucks to park and, you know, so things like that. Again, grew up in North County. We were a little cheap, you know, we didn't really have a lot of extras. So when it came to things like buying shirts at the games, uh, we never knew anything that that even existed. You know, that time frame that you're referring to, the heavy metal period, mostly, I guess, the 80s, a little bit of the mm-hmm. 90s. I think concerts changed and became a bigger thing. Like huge stadium shows started to be more sure. popular. And I guess that's yeah. where the cost came from. It was expensive. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it became more about the theatrics and kind of getting back to KISS. You know, KISS had set that standard of making their live performances, you know, a real show, a real experience. So, you know, as we got into metal, you know, you got to understand it's basically the same four chords that they're playing in different sort of arrangements. So I think that the theatrics had to take over and that's why you had, you know, Motley Crue and, and you know, the drummer spinning in the circle behind the stage. And then you had, you know, um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, biting the head off the, the pigeon. You have all these little sideshow acts that kind of added to the, the spectacle and it wasn't really about the music and you know for me you know um i actually went and saw ozzy osbourne on that bark at the moon tour was with randy rhodes and it was just a fabulous concert i didn't really feel like it needed any theatrics it was like this randy rhodes and the the walls were shaking and ozzy was bringing it 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 didn't really need any sort of cutesy uh tricks it just seems like that's where music has gone to it's all about the videos and the cutesy tricks and all the ancillary stuff in the music is really not even all that important anymore. Does it? Do you feel like the album is to promote the concert tour, or does the concert tour promote the album? You know, I, I think it, that was for me. It was always the concert tour promoted the album. You know, that was just always the formula. But now, I mean, it's the lines are so blurred, and basically, you don't even have to go on tour. You can release a couple you know videos or you know make your living through instagram almost you know and it's just it, it's it's insane there's just so many different avenues to get started but the problem is there's more people seeking it and your chances of getting through this muck it's very difficult you know it seems easy on paper but to actually wade yourself through a nation of people who are in their living rooms or in their basements you know trying to build their music career digitally i mean it's that's just the way it's gone. It's not more, not anymore about guitars and bass drums anymore. It's about digitizers and synthesizers and drum machines. It used to always be about the, you know, the uh, the tour promoting the albums. You know, mm-hmm. so in other words, you know, but but now it's you, you, the the music is really you know just just the whole business side of it has changed so much, and the way people access music. And the window for stardom is so small that it, it just really takes a lot to make it these days. So I give people respect if they're able to make it, but it's just a different path than what the old guys did. And what I'd said before is, you know, th- it's not really about guitars and bass drums anymore. Now it's about synthesizers and digitizers and, and drum machines. You know, the first, um, of course, I was I was a teenager in the 70s. So when we were going to, going to see concerts, whether it was Boston or Boston Steve Miller Band, um, you know those kinds of Head East, uh, REO Speedwagon, there was a show, but the show wasn't the show. The first 
time I remember seeing a laser show at a concert with Steve Miller Band, and it had like uh. five green light lasers bouncing on the back, and that was it. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. It's more than music now. It's I, I didn't realize the implication of that now we're going theatric, and and we have, haven't we? Sure. Yeah, that, that's I'm not sure if you caught that before. I was in Kiss, kind of set that standard, and you know. It, it, it's just something that metal's always kind of gone on back to and you know costumes and, and theatrics and stuff mm-hmm. like that so but where country music has really survived without the theatrics if you kind of notice that you know how do you explain that or or do you or you just make the I, note and move on i i don't i don't know i don't really understand country music i'm not a, a real fan only because i've just been surrounded by it in a sort of a negative way growing up and you know i Uh, I appreciate a lot of the guys as musicians, but I don't. I don't know. I just think it appeals to a certain set, you know, um, of the population. Let me just leave it at that. It's a different kind of party. Like a, like a concert is like going to a football game. You know, a major NFL game or a, a major college football game is a party. So is going to a concert in the kind of party you have at a Kiss concert versus a Toby Keith concert. They're both really fun parties but they're seriously different. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, I, I will tell you like we we talked about the 70s and 80s, you know, just that whole experience of driving up to the old Checker Dome or the arena and you know, waiting through a line of places to park and find a place to park and through the, you know, just the whole experience of waiting through the crowd of all these, you know, wasted stoners trying to find their seats and stuff. It it was really an experience and You know, the opening band was always terrible. They were always like, oh, my God, who the hell are these guys, you know? Uh, and then the opening act would come out, just everything was fine. And for two hours, you were having such a great, great time. I've never felt energy, you know, even at sporting events than I have at, you know, some of these big concert events I've been to. Now, you're too young, so you probably don't know it, but a lot of my listeners will recognize this. Super Jam. You ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, You actually caused a bit of a, a problem in my house. I was deemed too young to go while my brothers went and had the time of his life and came home and told me all about it. So, yeah, we definitely had experience. I just was too young to go when they all went. Mm-hmm. He, that was the one with Sammy Hagar and REO Speedwagon. I think April Wine was there. There was there was about they did about three or four years in a row. I remember seeing um, um, Peter Frampton open for one. Ted Nugent was at one. I feel like it was two or three, maybe even four summers in a row, and it was super. It really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah you don't see that. You don't it's, unless it's, unless it's a made for TV event. You don't really see. You know, you don't, don't see you know performers you know stacking up on a, on a bill for a night. You know, doing three or four songs each. You don't. You don't see that anymore, do you? Yeah, you're right. That what that was a that was something from 50 years ago. I guess yeah. it goes back to to um, uh, Woodstock sort of sort of feel. I mean, that's what I I wasn't there. I was a bit. I was in grade school during Woodstock, but I feel like that that's what they were trying to emulate in these uh, super jams. Was trying to give that whole day where we are the world, everybody united kind of thing. Sure. And you think Woodstock, though, was this this whole societal movement where just rock and roll concerts and these big festivals are just about the music and about people. I remember when I lived in Germany, uh, I covered um, a music festival. It was uh, the ACDC, Metallica, the Black Crows, Motley Crue, um, and like Queensryche was opening. And it was like, are you kidding me? 
And it was That's a amazing. That went on for like ten hours. You know, and it was, they held it at the at the local uh, motor track because they had so many people who showed up. It's crazy. That w- that would be amazing. All right, so if I catch you listening to me, I just walk in in your office and you're listening to music. It, it, is there something in particular you listen to at work? versus at home versus i mean does a, does the mood drive your music selection well on my way into work i usually uh listen to sick metal like usually something like uh you know faith no more or, or some really heavy duty motley crew just to get that angst out of my out of my system that's your um, coffee that's your coffee, coffee <laughs> yeah, but, uh, usually in the office you know late i, I go through a lot of like uh, ebbs and flows and lately i've been really interested in the eagles Cause I didn't. I guess I never really gave them much credit. Cause I mean, they were really a super group with you know Joe Walsh and Glenn Fry and you know, just where they all came from. So I'm trying to gain more of an appreciation for the Eagles. But I definitely like Boston and classic rock in the office. And then when it's just me hanging out, I like you know Stevie Ray Vaughan, more of the guitarist type of people, the bluesy type of folks. What you know? Yeah. Kind of. Hey, do you know where the Eagles' last performance was? I do. The Gundaker t- Theater at CBC High School. That's correct. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Is that not the craziest yeah. thing? It's crazy, you know. But right again, here in St. Know, Louis. Yeah, right here. Right, at, yeah, right here. Right, right inside the highway right there. But uh, yeah, crazy. But again, I'm, I've just been trying to understand them more as the, the musicians that they were. Because, you know, again, Jill Walsh was tremendous on his own. And Glenn Fry, Don, Hen- Don Henley was, you know, unbelievable. So... Yeah, just trying to understand them all as a group rather than individuals. That's been my latest kind of kind of task. I, I don't know any artists, music artists, or any other artists that are, have ever made it big personally. But it seems like in the music business, anyway, it's very difficult the relationship piece where you put a bunch of personalities together trying to make something happen. It seems to be difficult, and the Eagles really emulate that, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I've uh, been really, I get geeked out on, you know, a lot of uh, documentaries, and I saw a, a VH1 behind the music with uh, Aria Speedwagon, and it was really interesting that, you know, the guitar player had all kinds of problems with drugs and alcohol and was in and out of the band, and every time the band seemed like they were hitting rock bottom, Kevin Cronin would pull a number one song out of his, his hip pocket, and they would shoot back up to number one, like, they'd be on the depths of breaking up, saying, that's it, we can't perform, and they would release one song it would go up they did that like two or three times in their career it had like two or three number one songs Ario Speedwagon from the depths of, of despair they took off so it's just crazy how the whole world works so what band would you listen to if you're you know you needed a lift pick me up I'm, I'm down in the dumps I need to listen to something that's going to make me cheerful what do you pick uh, you know I uh it's a good, it's a good, you know, I think I, I like, um, a lot of, believe it, I like some Leonard Skinner, and I think they all have kind of fun music, it's not too overbearing, um, I kind of like Dave Matthews a little bit, I think some of this stuff's kind of fun and poppy, uh, you know, there's some Motley Crue, I think, it's kind of fun, and kind of, you know, has, has some, uh, singability to it, so, yeah, it's kind of a mixture. All right, how about a road trip? What, what am I listening to on a road trip with Rob Stagenborn? I'm a, I'm a mixer guy, and I'm also an audio uh, audio tape or sports radio guy. So I usually listen to sports radio until the signal leaves me. And then I'll put on, I, I just have a, a drive with like 500 songs, just random. So it's 
everything from the cars to you know the doors to Led Zeppelin, the Rush, you know, the Triumph. Just... Well, I've actually seen that flash drive, and it's got nine hundred and fifty something songs on it, doesn't it? Well, you... And I have I I, I, like, oh. I have the amended version because I have the original. Uh, we have one of the satellite editions that I think you were looking at. It's amazing. I can tell you that. There, I hope I live a long and happy life, but I will never listen to every song on that flat. I will not have the time to do that. Yeah, it's amazing. It just was, was, I told you the story about the find. I won't go into it, but it just was a, one of those random things that I came across and just happened to be a gold mine and, uh, for music and rock and roll music. So uh, anyway, yeah, happy to happy to uh, be able to have that music at, at my excess. Um, you know, like I said, I grew, oh, I grew up in the KC era, so there's a lot of those songs that were kind of KC classics, and you don't really hear much. Uh, and luckily, I was able to kind of find them in this, you know, this library that I had. So, so for listeners here in St. Louis, they'll they'll recognize that that call sign KC KSHE KC ninety four point seven. Yeah. Yep. So again, it was one of yep. the very first rock and roll stations, you know, of any significance in the United States. It wasn't the first, but it, it, they started broadcasting here locally in 1967 and started drawing national acts and really understood the promotion game. So a lot of acts were able to come through St. Louis and they, they were definitely a contributing member to the growth of rock and roll, definitely in St. Louis. Absolutely. And they, they um, recently celebrated, was it, I guess, 50 years of, they, they tout that they are the longest continually classic rock or rock and roll station they've never changed what they've done in five decades yeah, I know. does that sound right yeah that, that's that's exactly it that's amazing and it was in a um and that that particular radio station like so many back in the 60s and 70s was in a really kind of a non-distinct cinder block building where you could just drive up there was like a window that you a fast yeah. food window you could just drive drive up and talk to the jock through the window hey how about playing stairway to heaven or yeah. something like yeah. that <laughs> and we did that martin a few times from north county drove all the way down this crestwood sure. which was in south county and, just to tap on the window and ask the guy to play a song and, you know i mean i'm referencing you know the, the, the station here locally but i mean that that happened all across america i mean the radio station mm -hmm. and really one of the things in my life that's that seemed that the death of the radio station, you know, because it was such a big part of my life and such a big part of who I was that now to know that there's radio is just so different now. It, it's really, a, you know, a tragedy for me. I agree with you. And I, and I think every community across the country through the six, 50s, I don't know, I wasn't there, but through the 50s, 60s and 70s had that local radio station. I remember when I taught in Moberly, you could walk downtown in the in the main square and watch the guy radio station guy through the window i mean that was the heart and the soul of that local community we don't have that do no we? no it does it just doesn't exist you know um yeah and then, and then another thing that's kind of i don't want to say turned me a little bit but uh so um my my wife actually teaches media law and she's very well versed in different sort of media and she's really started to to let me understand record companies manipulate these stars you know, and they ruin them or make them big. And it, it just, and to me, it's kind of, it took some of the innocence out of rock and roll when I found out it was mm. all about the record companies trying to sell a bunch of records. Now, I get it, you know, but the extremes that they went to make it believable was, you know, kind of crazy. Yeah, once corporate gets involved, yeah, things get ugly, music, I guess. Music, that's where it started to become more theatrical about the shows and, 
you know, the live performances, I think. So speaking to the young people, um, kids, you know, teenagers, yeah. maybe, I guess, I guess maybe preteens even, yeah. and, and maybe this kid's interested in what kind of, gr- what kind of music did you listen to grandpa or what kind of music did you listen to dad? If you wanted to turn, uh, get a kid's attention, if you wanted to get a kid's attention in terms of classic rock and roll, what would you have him listen to? Well, the very first song I think I would, I would boil out would be, um, ACDC Thunderstruck because I think it'd be familiar to him. He will have, under, he will have heard it, you know, as going through games and seeing popular media. But then I would actually invite him to take a deeper look into the ACDC catalog and start listening to some of the real classics, some of the radio hits. And then beyond that, some of the, the hits that didn't really make radio that were still really good and really kind of introduce that person that way. I think, you know, you could tell, you know, he's speaking about bands and such generalities like, oh, I love Boston. Well, do you love Boston? You just love their first two albums because their first last two were, were turds. They were terrible, you know. So you know what I mean? It's like, well, I love the first two Boston, or or I love six songs on the two albums, you know, like whatever it might be. But I just think that you know, I would I would tell them to hone in because they have the ability to look up individual songs, individual artists, and just start learning about different sounds and different things that the bands experimented with. You know, because I mean, ACDC, I mean, they're bringing in freaking cannons. I mean, like World War II military cannons on stage and blowing them off it, it, as part of their song. Like, wow. <laughs> How do those guys have any ears left? How can they hear anything? Uh, you know, I, I doubt that they do, but you know, a lot of them end up pretty crazy <laughs> and broken down you know, in, in their old age. But, uh, you know. Let's play a game. I'm going to say a decade, and you're going to tell me songs that make you think of that decade right. or songs that you remember from that decade. All right? Uh, maybe even a year. Maybe I'll give you a range. 1960 to 1965. Uh, probably the Beatles. You know, they were certainly coming up and, and, and you know, in, in such a formative stage and, and doing some good. I think of, like, um, you know, Help, uh, Somebody Hold My Hand, you know, those sort of songs. I think more of that 60s. Ed Sullivan, Beatles kind of sound. Kind of head bobbing back yeah, and forth, yeah. real real upbeat. You can easy to dance to yeah, that kind of exactly. music. Yeah, exactly. All right, now let's transition. 6570, what do you think about that segment? 6570, I think that's where I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards, you know, the, the, the Yardbirds, the Led Zeppelins, kind of that British rock invasion as they're really kind of forming. Um, yeah, I, I think of you know, Led Zeppelin 2, you know, all the great songs on there. I'm thinking, um, you know, again, maybe, you know, more Beatles, but I think now it's more, you know, Peter Frampton, um, you know, a lot of that English, that English rock. Are we getting more psychedelic yet? Or is that 70, 75? I think 70, 75. I think, you know, right after Vietnam, people were all, everything was kind of crazy. So I think uh, they could get away with a little bit more on on tv and on stage in the 70s so you know you had problems with jim jim morrison you know having into you know indecent exposure you know being arrested on stage for something pretty rude and you know you got other stories of other iggy pop used to do some pretty terrible things in the 70s so you had this thing where stage performers were just losing their minds i don't know if they were just drugged out but they were doing like really stupid things like just gross gross things that aren't even really cool you know 
So the early 70s was pretty uh, pretty sloppy. Yeah, they riders on the storm. Kind of, yeah. That kind of thing. Okay. All right, last half of the 70s. Now, personally, I feel like music starts to change a little bit. What yeah. do you think about the last half of the 70s? What do you think of? Well, then I, I start thinking like the 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 guitar. The, it's kind of the age of the guitarist. You know, the Eddie Van Halen starts coming really into his own. And, you know, he starts coming up, I should say, not even coming in his own. He just starts coming up. And, you know, Ted Nugent had been around. You know, um, I just think, you know, people were into that, that screaming guitar. You know, they're bad company. They were, you know, doing doing some great stuff. So I, I, I feel like it was kind of the the era of the of the rhythm and the, and the guitar section. Okay, uh, I totally agree with that. Now we're moving into the '80s. What do you think of in the early '80s? Well, again, a little bit more of a continuation, but a little bit more, you know, of what we experienced with the with the guitars. I think in the early '80s there was, you know, the, this kind of effort to, to kind of mix pop and, and metal and, and rock and roll together and I, I because of MTV was kind of coming into his own and people were were really interested in the videos and how how people were looking so I think it became more about the image and and the style in the in the you know early 70s you know for instance for me I would say the band that comes to mind is you know probably like Def Leppard you know because they had such a big big run in the 80s um, you know but again they were British rockers or kind of dressed the part and played this whole British rock thing and they were very successful over here so Queen Queen in the 80s right yeah yeah I, I, Queen I have a love-hate relationship with them. I mean I just I, I I love Queen and I just want to be on record as saying I love Queen but sometimes Queen there's a little bit too much Queen for me it's like all right I get it let's you know I need to like take myself off of it but, but, you know, boy, there's like, you know, Fat Bottom Girls is a great song. Um, Turn Yourself Around. I mean, you start listening to the songs individually, you're like, man, these guys were just great. You know, I think it just was, uh, to me, it all, always was about Brian, uh, Freddie Mercury and Brian May was just as, value, as much of a valued member of that band as anybody. He was the guitar player, you know, and uh, I just always felt like he was overshadowed by Freddie Mercury and stuff. You know, he's talented, obviously, but... Oh, the dude could sing. There's no question about that. Yeah. So how, how do you explain um, Mick Jagger? I mean, he, I don't think he could sing, but he is the um, Rolling Stones, right? And yeah. if you compare it to like Mick Jagger versus Freddie Mercury, they're 180 degrees different from each other, but they have the same value to that particular super, super band. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be honest with you. I can't explain Mick Jagger, to me, I think he's he's always been just homely looking. He he just kind of has like a snaggletooth look about him, and he just seems to be like a, a rascal. His voice is great, hangs up, you know, great. But I just I never really understood the appeal, other than I think it was that move of British rock into that British kind of punk scene. You know, they were trying to bring in some of that punk element, and maybe Mick Mick Jagger, you know you know, related to that group, but I just never have been much for him and his prancing and dancing and, you know, Maroney's wives are younger than any wife I've ever had, you know? Well, I, I'm not going to hold that against a guy. Yeah, well, you know, he's got four of them, though. <laughs> so, rock, we move into the 90s. Rock and roll. How, what? The 90s, I think of grunge and Nirvana and yeah. that kind of music. Did rock and roll do well through the 90s? No, I don't. I don't think it did 
particularly well because I think, you know, the one thing that grunge music, it, it kind of made everything about a statement about something and rock was still about chasing girls and partying and, and you know, and, and frat parties. And I think, you know, people were maybe moved on from that a little bit. So I think they had to do some catching up and change kind of some of their messaging and, you know, this whole arena rock look with the, you know, the, the Nikki six hair that's going, you know, seven inches all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I think just people got tired of it and it's like stone temple pilots were a really good, good band. But, you know, the lead singer had all kinds of drug problems and he ended up, you know, losing his life because of it. It's, you know, there's too many of those stories. It's like you didn't want to get too close to bands because you knew their lead singer was was crazy. I know Michael Stipe with R.E.M. people for a while didn't know what was going on with him. And, you know, he's obviously done great, but you don't know what to believe and what's being reported. And, but, yeah, it's just there's so many elements at work here, you know. Right. Yeah, the 90s was complicated. That was a complicated era for music, I feel. Yeah, music became very diversified. So there's all kinds of music. You know, it, was, it wasn't just about hip-hop. It was about New York hip-hop or L.A. hip-hop. or you know, It, it was about you know, uh, regional music and, and, and what people around the country were listening to. So, yeah, really fascinating. I, I'll have to tell you about a, a, a really cool documentary series on Amazon Prime that that talks about the music industry. It's really interesting, really interesting. Well, go ahead and tell us. A lot of my listeners like Amazon, uh, so tell us what Amazon the- Amazon Prime is called Sound Breaking, S-O-U-N-D-B-R-E-A-K-I-N-G. And I think there's like 11 episodes, and it just, uh, it kind of tells the story of, of recorded music through like the infusion of electric music, through the infusion of, you know, the. There's a, there's a whole segment on the vocalists, the great vocalists of the day, and, and just how music was produced in the old days and versus how it's produced now. And, you know, just as a little tangential thing, they, they talk about why why rap became so popular is because those little MIDI machines, people could take those to their bedrooms and mix music in their bedrooms. That's the first time anyone was ever able really to do that, you know, to actually make music, you know, in their bedroom with, you know, investment of what $200 or whatever it would be. And uh, that was a real movement. And it was really a movement for music. And um, yeah, I hope everybody gets a chance to watch that one. That was a real fascinating look. All right, that's a great tip for my listeners. Sound breaking. Sound breaking, yeah. Just Google it yep. and you'll be able to watch the trailers and tell you what you want. But uh, that was a real, real deep look at recorded music. That sounds very interesting. Yep. All right, now we move into the new millennia. How's rock and roll been doing the last 20 years? Man, I you know, I don't I don't I don't want to claim that it's dead, but boy, I'll tell you that the the number of hits coming out of that rock and roll side just seem to be you know dwindling by the year. You know, it just doesn't seem to be as many bands. You know, obviously the pandemic, but people are putting out music the way they were, and the music might have maybe one hit, not two or three hits. And I just think it's there's so much competition out there, and people are accessing music, you know, through, you know, streaming devices and not, you know, sponsored radio ads and things like that anymore. So just the whole game has really changed and, you know, not, not sure rock and roll was really suited to keep up with it. Hmm. Who's the biggest rock band right now? You know, I, I, I would probably say a band like, um, like Greta Van Fleet. Um, they get you know a lot of young, young reviews, you know, young followers, and they have kind of a, a Led Zeppelin type of sound. The lead singer's been compared 
to Led Zeppelin. But again, being the counterculturist that I am, that's one reason why I can't go all in because there's only one Robert Plant and no one can ever, you know, replicate Robert Plant. So, right. But um, yeah, other than that, I mean, it's just all pop music, isn't it? There's really not. Yeah, it is. I mean, Jonas Brothers, Mendez. Um, now um, they have the, 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 the Korean group, the, uh, the, uh, K-pop or whatever. I don't know. Just I don't. I don't understand any of it. I think that's where I decided to cash in my old man card. So you know what? <laughs> I just don't get any of it. <laughs> well, it is. It's it's pop. It's it's One Direction. Is well, you're right about that. But you know what it is? Is music. I think over the years has become so much more disposable. We're like we we listen to music. We want to hold on to it. And we're listening to it 40 years later, and we're not. You know, we're not forgetting. But you know. Uh, the, the first side of you know twenty one twelve sounded like you know we're kids today, and I don't sound like an old man, but they don't. Music is just disposable. It's just what's on right now, and whatever comes on the next minute is no memory of what's really you know. There's not that that memory of the music if that makes sense. Well, that might be what two thousands is all about: moving quick, moving fast, and moving through it. Yeah, music don't included. Yeah, don't blink. Yeah. You know, I I uh, get made fun of a lot by my wife, who's more of a uh, a pop star person from the 90s and stuff and but i hold true to my ground because the, you know the more i i meet people and the more i talk to people about you know different bands or different concerts i i, I definitely see that i connect with them and music is definitely a, a universal connection and um yeah i enjoy that i enjoy meeting people and being able to drop drop a name of a band and, and just starting you know a uh, discussion from there so to me that's that's really great well, I've always enjoyed our discussions about music, which is why I thought my listeners would enjoy it too. I, I think they have. They, they should have. It's definitely entertaining and informative. You got some knowledge there. Well, thank you for that. And if could I plug our CBC? I work at CBC High School, and we do a uh, alumni yes. uh, alumni podcast. So just interviewing different alums are kind of a uh, kind of big big deals, big men around campus. Um, and so just check us out. We're on the CBC website or on YouTube. CBC Alumni Report and all of our videos are there. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You need to plug your your work too. So CBC Cadets, no, wait a minute. What CBCHS.org? Is that what it is? CBCHS.org, or if they just go on YouTube and search CBC Alumni, the channel should come right up. All right, find check out some of Rob Stagenborg's work. And I appreciate your efforts today, Rob. Thank you for being with us. Sounds good, man. I'll talk to you. So we all know what that sound means. This episode of the Old Man's Podcast has come to an end. I enjoyed talking with my friend Rob about classic rock and roll. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. Now, if you have anything you would like to add to the conversation on classic rock and roll, I would love to hear from you. Find the Old Man's Podcast page on Facebook. Like it. And there you'll see two links, a link to my blog and a link to my email. My email, if you can remember all this, is the old man's email at yahoo.com. That's one word, 
There's no apostrophe, but there's an S after man, man's. It's the old man's email at yahoo.com. If nothing else, and you want to get on the blog, email me that you'd like to get on the blog, and I'll email you the link. There's going to be one blog topic added, and it's going to be what do you consider to be classic rock and roll? If you don't want a blog, that's fine. Email me what you consider to be classic rock and roll. If I get enough input from listeners, we can do a listener special on classic rock and roll. The second topic that I brought up in the beginning of the podcast is that I'm looking for guests to discuss subjects from a classic perspective. I use the example of TV. So if you are someone who appreciates classic TV, in other words, if you know what the Grit Channel even is, or you frequently watch the Grit Channel, as I do, then you are someone that appreciates classic TV. Would you please be a guest on my podcast? I'm inviting you to be a guest. We can discuss classic TV. If you are not interested, but you know someone that you think is interested or, or does possess a wealth of knowledge on things that are classic, whether it's TV, movies, cars, clothes, whatever. If you can connect that person with me, so tell your, your grandpa or tell your dad, give them my email and uh, get us connected digitally or virtually and I can take it from there, have someone to have a classic conversation with. And that would be, um, be fantastic, it'd be fun for me, it'd be fun for them, and I think it'd be fun for the listeners. I mean, let's face it, talking about the olden days, is, it's interesting to us that lived through it. It's probably historically anyway important for those of you that have only heard about it. So there we have it, conversations on the classics. Please get involved. Tell me your thoughts on classic rock and roll or give me some tips on people that love the classics. The old man's email at yahoo.com. Y'all be safe out there and I look forward to the next podcast, Classic Something. You don't know which topic it's going to be. You'll have to be tuned in to find out. Get off my grass, damn kids.